Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 124 of Real Blend, a podcast that is still disappointed Jake used the pun, the Zoom where it happens. That's You're, you're better than that, Jake. You're better. One, that is still marginally better than the yep. average pun that makes it onto this show. Is it, though? Is it, it is, because only about four <laughs> puns have ever been on this show. The rest are very bad wordplay. I approve of the pun. That, does that make you feel better, Jake, or worse? I'm still writing the high from <laughs> Come With Me If You Want to Love. That is a really good one. <laughs> My name is Sean O'Connell, the managing director here at Cinema Blend. The other boys uh, that you hear on the show, as always, Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Hi, Jakey. Bye-bye, Ann. How good are you to see? I love your shirt. Oh, thank you very much. Yet another Snyder Cut shirt that I'm wearing. And yeah. uh, I have Michelle a, okay. is such a lucky woman. Well, I want to introduce uh, Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Hi, Kev. How are you? Also Hi. with a cool shirt. So, Sean, how are you, sir? I got a Jake? print uh, last night for um, Man of Steel, and it's hanging up in the in the living room, in the family room. And it's, to me, a commemoration of completing the Snyder Cut book. It was a gift to myself. Um, but I also convinced this is the difference between uh, my home situation and your guys' home situations. You guys are allowed to hang stuff from your movie, your movie. <laughs> oh life. no, I'm not. I, <laughs> oh, there. Oh, there are discussions when things get uh, when oh, things are, are really. Put up in my, oh, you have uh, a lot uh, of celebrity stuff around your house and Hollywood stuff. I definitely do not get final say on what things oh, are put funny. where. Okay. It's not. But you know what? My Lauren actually knows much better than I do about placement. So yeah. I just yeah. kind of. But I'm with, I, I feel you on the marriage thing in the sense of it's kind of Lauren's decision. See, so you guys have a lifetime of bliss and happiness. Yeah. I get to choose what stuff goes on my wall. Yes. Right. So, Really, tomato, 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 tomato. Honestly, <laughs> tomato, tomato. So um, Michelle says, "Cool, hang this, hang a Superman print in the living room. It's got a, it's got a, uh, what is that? What is that? Art Deco, an Art Deco style, which I really like to it. And PJ comes it home. Like PJ got a job poster. now, and it came yesterday, right? So I framed it and I hung it up. Did you? What'd you ask, Jakey? I'm sorry. It, lo- it looks like the Rocketeer poster. It looks like the Rocketeer poster. Yes, it's a, it's a riff of the Rocketeer poster. And PJ comes home from work yesterday, and he says. Uh, he looks right at it and he goes, so this is what we're doing now? <laughs> <laughs> Superhero stuff in the living room. <laughs> and then, even better, my mom comes over today uh, to come visit Brendan. And he says, uh, he goes, oh, ma- Mama, they call him Mama. Mama, come in here. We got to look at this new poster that uh, dad got to put up. That, that mo- look at this new poster that mom let dad put up. <laughs> so she comes in and she says... Uh, Ah, oh, you're taking over the house now. And I said, uh, no, no, I'm taking over this little sliver of wall that's in between two windows that I'm allowed to hang a poster. So that's let, where I'm at. Let me let me tell you, I bought Lauren a painting in Central Park once thinking it was going to be the greatest gift there. ever. I was there. Yeah, you. you were with me. That's right. Yeah. And I, I it, it was it was on the kitchen wall for maybe a week <laughs> and then it was gone. Aww, like that. Man. And I'm telling oh. you. But now, I mean, Wait, it gets where moved. is it? I liked that. It's I in the garage. Don't know where she put it. Since <laughs> 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 the ashes are buried in the backyard. <laughs> I will say this: I was able to uh, this since, since I've been broadcasting from here since like March 16th. I have a Alfred Hitchcock uh, birds poster in front of me. Um, I'm I did get approval to remove that and put Defy Bloods signed by Spike Lee. Oh, nice. There. 
So because it's, I, I thought it would be a good commemorative thing about being down here for as long as we have and what kind of interviews and broadcasting stuff we've been doing. Um, so that one was approved. I have no idea how we got down this rabbit hole. How did we even get here? I think it's cool. I, 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 I mean, I do too. I just forget. I forget. I'm oh, supposed to do show notes. <laughs> you were telling a story about Man of Steel poster and how oh, you were able right, to put right, it right. up. Yeah, That's right. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, episode highlights. We have a big show uh, lined up for everybody. No guest this week, which means you get a lot of the three of us. Uh, we have a ton of trailers to react to, more delays from films going to movie theaters, and we are going to dive deep into Hamilton on Disney+. Plus. The embargo lifted today, and we're going to take it from three very distinct um, perspectives in that Kevin was able to see it on Broadway with the original cast. Jake saw it in Chicago, and Lin-Manuel Miranda was in the audience with him, and right I saw it right in front of you. Oh, it's fine. Yeah. And I saw it for the very first time um, just last night. So we're going to tell you all of our opinions to that. Plugs, uh, a reminder, we have the community page over on Facebook. So head over there if you guys want to join up and interact with a bunch of other blenders. We are posting episodes on Cinema Blend's YouTube channel. So if you want to have a visual element to it and see uh, the shirts that we're wearing or talk about the posters that we're hanging on our walls, you can tune in on YouTube and see it. Uh, and of course, we're available wherever you get your podcast. Thank you, Gabe. That's worded so nicely. It flows right out of the mouth. Um, we also have a shop, a real blend store that you can access to buy merch from the show, including mugs and stuff. T-shirts and tote bags. Kevin bought a few mugs. Um, and we're potentially going to add some more stuff to that in time. So if you want to buy some Real Blend merch and represent the show, we are at cinemablend.com backslash shop. Uh, Kevin, what'd you buy? Mugs, right? I bought two mugs, and I got Lauren a shirt, and myself a shirt, and I got a tote bag, which I'm super excited about. But I I did the for people who are going on the shop for the first time, uh, if you don't see a certain color of something that you want, uh, there are color options. Like I was like really excited because like Gabe and Sean did a really good job with the descriptions about like there's like a milkshake Pulp Fiction reference to one of the uh, one of the uh, items as well. I think it's the shirt. Um, and so the coffee mug, you can actually change the color. I wanted a blue and yellow and you can get that and get our like the signature like real blend like blue, yellow. Uh, I didn't so know I, that. That's cool. Yeah, you can. So you can click it and switch it because um, I, I, wa- I was like, I want to really want a blue mug. I also got a yellow mug too with blue writing. I switched oh, it around. That's what I want. So you I'm can do get both. both of those. So I'm I was you. most proud of the description for the tote bag, and it's a reference to Jake's shirt. I put, "You're going to need a bigger tote." That was, I was good. I was really happy. About Whatever you like, uh, like, like, I picture you typing that, that, and then just yeah. being like, <laughs> I, I, "I read yeah, that I quote in yeah. vertigo." Like I was like in a vertigo <laughs> shot as I read it for some weird reason. Nice. All right, let's get into a borderline depressing topic: the weekly poll. And this year we got, I mean, this week, we got tired of asking uh, about all the delays and just simply asked you straight up, is Christopher Nolan's Tenet going to open in theaters this year? (laughs) In theaters this year. Kevin, I will defer to you. The only choices were yes, with an exclamation point, no with an ellipses. (laughs) And which one do you think prevailed? Uh, What date was the post was the poll posted? Oh, that's a great question. Um, that last Friday, which was the 26th. 26th. Okay. On June 26th, would Tenet have opened in the rest, the rest of the year, right? Through the rest of the year. The rest calendar of the year. year. Correct. Yes. No. Well, yes, one with optimism, but 59%. 59% to 40%. 
And I thought you would have said yes, because June 26th still seemed pretty optimistic. But now that AMC has talked about the fact that they are not going to open until the 30th and everything's pushed back into August, I'm going to go on record because it's actually one of our first talking points. I'm starting to feel like movie theaters are not going to open. No, I'm starting to feel like they're not going to open like this year, like this year. I don't think it's Broadway doesn't help. Oh, yeah. So tell everybody what happened with that, Jakey. Well, basically, they just announced that uh, Broadway is not going to be opening up at all in 2020. At earliest, I think January 3rd is the date that I read. They basically said that most Broadway shows can't operate with a, a half full or half empty, depending on how you look at it, uh, uh, audience capacity. Right. So they cannot abide by the social distancing rules that movie theaters are are working to to, oh, to initiate into it. Interesting. So for them, it's just not worth it. So they're basically going to have to wait for this to be over before they're going to because they can't do social distancing because it's just too expensive. Do you think also because they can only do essentially one or two shows a day, whereas a movie theater can do five shows of, of a thing? Maybe a, so, but also keep in mind a, a Broadway ticket is significantly more expensive than a movie theater ticket. So, sure. like you know, while that one seat, you know, for you know, might only get rented out once a day, it might end up making the same money that a movie theater seat does over the course of five or six showings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I had a pretty. I mean, I, I probably already told this last week, but I had a pretty. Um, life-changing, not life-changing, mind-changing perspective uh, when I went to Ocean City last weekend with Lauren and her family. Mm-hmm. Um, and while there, I, I felt safe in the hotels and the, and, the, and the restaurants, as I mentioned, but the thing that scared me the most was the boardwalk. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was just passing hundreds of people that weren't wearing masks, that didn't seem to care or know there was a pandemic going on. And that was the moment I really went to myself. I was like, the reason we're not going to be able to probably get back to some type of normalcy is because people aren't following the guidelines. Um, and I think it's the same. I, I kind of equate it to when you're driving a car. I always feel safe when I'm driving. Yeah. But I don't feel safe about the other drivers. Right. And so when I that's kind of how I equated what happened to me on that boardwalk that night, I'm like, this is the reason why we're not going to be able to see some type of normalcy sometime soon. Because right. if people are just going to not obey that stuff, like I was in an elevator with a guy and he took his mask off and started talking to me. I'm like, this is like, these are the things that started to worry me because I can't, I don't know that I can trust enough people to be able to go into a theater and not play around with that stuff and right. not remove their mask. Yeah. Um, and when I interviewed, when I, I spoke to the Rooster Brothers for their pizza film school and Joe and Anthony were even saying that they felt nervous about returning to theaters. I mean, these are two of the greatest and biggest filmmakers working today who obviously love the theatrical experience with Endgame and Infinity War, all their movies. And they seemed hesitant. And I'm like, I really need to put myself in check because there was a time period where they were holding on to that July 17th date. For tenant and I, there, I don't know about you guys, but there was definitely a shift towards optimism for a while. I think mm-hmm. we can all, if we go back on record in our show, yeah, you'll see that we even. I think at one point we even said blanketly, "Is tenant going to open?" And we all said, "I believe yes." At some point, well, I want to point and out like this is such a drastic shift for our show that all three huge. of us comfortably are saying it doesn't feel like anything's going to open well, anytime it, soon. It be- and, and to Sean's point, it's important to note this, though, and the pandemic has been an interesting story because we all work in news 
And pandemic took a back seat story wise to everything that was happening in the news for the longest time. And pandemic was like in that top 10 trending topic for a long time. Mm-hmm. Other things happened in our country, rightfully so, that, that were meant to be talked about and, and, and in the news cycle and to get change. And the pandemic kind of became the back seat. Mm-hmm. So there was a kind of a I don't know if we forgot about it, but we kind of just moved past it slightly and there was a moment where like oh maybe we are gonna somehow shift back in and then once the news cycle shifted back to COVID-19 or we started seeing these spikes and I'm like and then I see the boardwalk and then I, I Joe and Anthony say what they say and I'm like I just I, I don't know that I can trust the other drivers on the road yeah to, that's, a good, that's to, a good way to put it that's that's the way I look at it and like now I am more on the side of like yeah Broadway closing I don't think we're going to get new movies this year. And did you guys know. see that that video that Cinemark tweeted out of um, someone kind of walking with like a spray canister yeah. spraying down all I the seats? Yeah. Didn't that part of you make you wonder like, why <laughs> haven't you been doing that all along? Like, why, why did it take a worldwide yeah. pandemic for you to clean your well, seats? Yeah, that's why like when Kevin's saying he doesn't trust the other drivers, you know, I don't necessarily trust the theaters. You know, no. like the quality of the theaters before all of this was yeah. not great. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. And like, I was so, in a, I, when I was staying at this hotel I was staying at, like they, uh, and that was interesting because they basically didn't allow housekeeping to come in the, the whole time I was there. So it, that actually felt safe. But then here's the weird thing. You're talking about trusting theaters. When I got into my hotel room, as I mentioned, they had a remote that said, oh, your remote's been clean. No one's been, no one's using it. Okay. Okay. The sticker, the sticker's there. How do I know that's true? Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, you know, there there have been multiple stories done about movie theaters over the years and how dirty like a cup holder is in a movie theater or an armrest uh, or under the seat. Sure. Um, and yeah. so I just I've I'm, seen I'm those on airplanes you. like the tray, yeah. you know, you can't okay. really you shouldn't take the tray down and, and touch it because if you go over it, it's horrifying. And okay, also so the, the, the attitude about, about oh, sorry. Oh, no, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead, Jake. No, I was just, just going to say to your point, the attitude about masks. Uh, you know, I was also on a vacation that the, the weekend Kevin was, and my girlfriend and I were genuinely the only people casually walking around with masks on, and we were given looks like, like you know, like we yeah. were freaks, like we were monsters, like like we were the weirdos in the group, like we like this mentality of, That's and how we would, I felt. you know, we'd overhear people say like, oh, I dare someone to say something to me about wearing a mask, and it's just yeah, yeah. like. Yeah, so well, of course, of course we're swinging back the opposite direction. The fact that, like, two people who are genuinely trying to, like, take some small part in doing the right thing are being presented as the freaks and the weirdos, like, absolutely, like, that, that sort of attitude is making me have doubt about movie theaters. That's the vibe that I got as well, that they're, like, it was, like, you know, remember when AMC released their statement about July 15th opening and they didn't require the masks? Yeah. Uh, and there was a little bit of a... um. A, a, a red line there or a line there that it was basically if the, if the area you were in required a mask, you would have still have to wear it. But yeah. basically AMC changed their tone. Cause they got, to they got changed, changed that real fast overnight. But was, yeah. but interestingly enough in AMC statement, and then we'll move on is that they said it was a political element, right? Not to wear a mask. And that's what I'm seeing in the news now. I don't know if you saw the video yesterday uh, of uh, there was a woman in a grocery store who refused to. I think it was a Trader Joe's. Yeah. And she refused to wear a mask and she got screamed at by the the employees. And I don't know the full story, so I don't want to just scream that. But but she the thing that that struck me about that video was her claiming that her doctor said that she has a breathing condition and she she's not allowed to wear a mask, which my first thought was. 
If you have a breathing condition, your doctor would probably tell you not to go to a grocery store with yeah. a bunch of people. He wouldn't say go to a grocery right. store without him. That's the last thing a doctor would tell you. Right. But a lot of those arguments I'm seeing from people, and, and I think you would see this in movie theaters as well. Imagine that scenario in a movie theater. That would probably happen. Oh, like you, absolutely. You'd be, you'd, you'd, you'd be, next, you'd be yeah. next to John Smith, yeah. and, and he would take his mask yeah. off, and, you, you, and you'd be like, Sir, can yeah. you please put your mask back on? Yeah. And honestly, like, when like, I'm watching Tenet for the first time, I don't want to have to worry about that. I, yeah. I, when I'm watching Tenet, I want to enjoy it. I don't want to. I don't want to worry about when I see someone cough, or I don't want to like look over there and be like, "That dude took his mask off." Oh, yeah, crap. that's a great I point. You know, I, I, would, yeah. I just want to be like, I would rather wait. Honestly, don't freak out. I'd rather wait a year and watch Tenet genuinely enjoy it without a distraction than yeah. watch it in a month and have like little things bug me the whole time. And Jake, you and I joked about that joked about this. But we said this when we did a little thing we did for Fox the other day about Fast and Furious Nine. Universal seemed to know what the they kind of nailed on. it. They just By nailed that it back movie a year, year, ahead. year back. There was yeah, no. they, they're now looking like the smart ones in the room. I will never. Yeah. The, the the perfect image for this entire analogy is Amy Adams in the arrival suit holding the board up, yes. and someone just wrote "tenant" on it. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just yeah. There's so much uncertainty, and that's probably the only way I would feel safe. But yeah. now that being said. There's all these dates, you know, they're all like new dates and the new dates don't really mean much to me because it's like, okay, so, so 10, every movie is the new mutants now. Yeah, (laughs) those dates mean nothing. It's just a two week barrier. So 10 goes from July 30th to August 12th. Uh, Bill and Ted face the music also gets pushed back two weeks. Mulan now claims that they're going to be August 21st. Uh, The Michael B. Jordan without remorse is going all the way to 2021. But the question is always like, how different are things going to be in two more weeks that we all of a sudden think that it's going to be okay. Um, it's just a placeholder. They're band-aids. They're, ban- they're just band-aids placed on it in case things start to turn back around. But I, I'm, I'm it's with like you a guys plane delay. that. Yeah, it's exactly what it feels. And you know how frustrating plane delays are when yeah. you're sitting there and yeah, two hours at a time. Except there's never when, when you know, when you know the storm over you is going nowhere. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah okay. So true. blanketly as we move on, yeah. no new movie as we sit right here, right now, just, just as for a time stamp and a time capsule, if it's okay, if we're wrong or right, any new movies open up this year? I mean, I'm going to keep an optimistic in yes. theaters. I'll keep yeah, an optimistic. I, I yes. want to say yes to, I want to say yes to saying it's going to be when November, December. Yeah. I mean, it feels like November, December. It feels like everything would really have to not only take a curve back down to acceptable levels, but stay there for a little mm-hmm. bit. And right now it's everything's yeah. going up and that's that's because we've proven that we can get the curve down. What we haven't proven is we can get the curve down and keep it there because we yeah. everyone gets so excited that they just take it as like, OK, cool, let's go. Yeah. yeah the people, the people Jake and I saw on our vacations, it, that's that gives me hesitation. vacations. We didn't go on vacations together. Yeah. I wasn't invited. Yeah. I wasn't invited. But that gave me oh, hesitation. I was just going to say, I'm really offended that I didn't get invited on this. This real. <laughs> yeah, Gabe, Gabe said that we should have invited you, but I don't know. <laughs> we, All right. Well, we, let's we, did, talk we, about, did a, uh, we did a meetup. We did a meetup. Oh, yeah. God. It was awesome. Yeah. Bring a cardboard me around with you. <laughs> Let people pose with it. Uh, there's a developing uh, production going on at Disney with uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean film. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean franchise because uh, there's two films that are in the mix. Again, there's such a glut of product that that theoretically going to be coming, so we don't really know when all these new movies will get slotted in. But I'm intrigued by the idea of Margot Robbie uh, and writer Christina Hodson, who collaborated on Birds of Prey, are going to be reteaming for a Pirates of the Caribbean film. Um, I, I'm I'm of the mindset that they need to get away from Johnny Depp, <clears throat> and I've I've heard there was another person I thought who was in the mix to to take over because there is another 
uh, spinoff or, or reboot that Ted Elliott and then Craig Mazin are working on. And I thought they had a lead, but maybe not. Does that not that strike sounds a bell? I know. I, I, I do seem to remember there was a different Pirates of the Caribbean with someone else. Right. I can't um, think of who it was. But I'm really I'm really intrigued by Margot Robbie getting a chance to potentially play that because, A, I think she's spectacular and um, gets pigeonholed a little bit, you know, as as uh, Harley Quinn. But we've seen her try so many other things. And I think this is so far out of what we've seen her attempt to do uh, in the in she's other pigeonholed. roles. She's a two time Oscar nominee. For what? What was she Oscar for, nominee uh, for? for? I, I, Tanya and oh, uh, I, Tanya. Bombshell. That's right. Yeah, yeah. No, but I'm saying like if you asked Joe Public what Margot Robbie's best known for, like I even forgot that she was in I, Tanya, and that was her Oscar and, nomination. I think they would automatically weird... say Suicide Squad, don't you? I don't mean this to, to be like um, a dissenting opinion, but if, if somebody asked me the first thing I think about Margot Robbie, I would actually think of Wolf of Wall Street. Would you? OK. Yeah, because I, I just remember being so blown away by her with that film. But again, it's all about a personal uh, yeah. element of what you remember. But mm-hmm. I just, that was the first time I had seen her. And I'll never forget, like hearing her accent in the film and then hearing her talk in real life. And I'm like, oh, it's my crazy. God, like yeah, she's yeah. incredible. Yeah, and she like, nailed that Jersey accent. It's insane. And that, and that movie, you know, her performance is amazing. But I, I do like this news. I think Margot Robbie does choose interesting projects. I mean, she's obviously in a place where she doesn't she probably you know can choose the project she wants to do. So it sounds mm-hmm. like there's something there. Um, I did see a tweet the other day that I thought was interesting about like because this is essentially like a reboot, right? It would be a, re, a, a, a female led reboot of Pirates of the Caribbean. Is that what that would be? I think or just like another story in that world, but it doesn't have to connect okay. to the existing five movies aren't there five or, or mm-hmm. four there's at least five. four there's five, there's five. now good yeah. lord in heaven okay i don't remember th- four of them <laughs> i think i remember I, one I, of I them i will defend one two and th- i think verbinski's original trilogy i think right. all three of them are fantastic bloated okay. yeah but i think genuinely i i think all three i think verbinski is one of the most underrated work uh, directors working today Great yeah. director. The yeah, ring, yeah. the ring is amazing. And it's it's a it's a type of atmosphere that you could explore any component of it. Can you see, I think it? I think I'm done with that world though. Are you really? I think I think I think I've Same. just checked out. And I love Margot Robbie, but my first thought was like, oh, like this is How just going to take up her time like new to work with. Yeah, that, that, was, just, that was the that was the tweet that I saw. It's like like I think Margot Robbie is such a powerful, and I, I can't take credit for it because someone else tweeted it. I can't remember who it was, but she's such a powerful actress. And I, or actor and actress, and I really yeah. think that she deserves to be in the best product. And I feel like being tied to a Pirates of the Caribbean, it then it then becomes, oh, this is a female-led mm-hmm. Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like I feel like, and while that's amazing, and I think that's great, and I and I want more female voices in leading in leading films, leading action films. But at the end of the day, I feel like she deserves more original material. Right, right. Um, and I, w- I would love to see her play around with like, what? imagine her like a Nolan film or like imagine her like, you know, I, I feel like there are other things I'd want to see her do. But again, it could be awesome. So I don't know. Um, Jake, you you retweeted somebody who tweeted the idea of, of the carrying on the uh, League of Their Own, but carrying on with yes. the African woman uh, yes. who threw the baseball back to uh, I thought, Gene I Davis. thought that was a brilliant, Such one, a I, I love idea. that scene. I love yeah. that movie. I love that movie. Um, yeah, uh, I, I, uh, I want, was it Matthew Cherry, the guy that won the Oscar oh, yeah. for Hair Love? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes. he yeah, tweet he that. tweeted that, he, right. t- he tweeted the clip with it, um, and I, I want to say it was on the 100th anniversary of the Negro Leagues. Oh, was it? Which okay. was earlier this week. And that's, um, it's just and, uh, idea. it was just, I mean, it's one of those things that, 
you know, yeah, like, and granted, I, I, I don't get pitched movies, so I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not, I don't know what it's like to be in Hollywood being in that position, but I would imagine that if I'm a Hollywood executive and he walks in the room and says this, like, says just that little tweet, I go, yeah. cool. Like, what do you need? How much? How <laughs> yeah, much you yeah. need? Like, right, like right. that's a brilliant story. It's a great idea. You, you find a way, you know, I mean, I think it's cool to tie it to a league of their own, but you don't necessarily have to. I think, but I think it's a cool oh, spin off to, to of finish that. up the thought. So essentially, yeah. it would say the movie would start, the new movie would start on that scene, and then yeah. it would follow her as she went off to because she became one of the first That's three cool. players um, to launch the Negro mm-hmm. League, essentially. Yeah, and it would go on to tell their story, and you, so you'd get I think a that league would of their own unbelievable s- spin off or sequel kind of thing, but it would be branched yeah. around new characters. So. Now that sounds fantastic. Right, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that I'm into. <laughs> I would see that, and I feel like that would be an, a fantastic way. I, I love the idea of like parallel stories mm-hmm. and like kind of what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, that'd be really cool. Who, who and, was and that fun. one little? Who was that character? You know, yeah. in, in any movie, like who was that character in that so, in that scene? I was going to ask that. What what what's this? What's a little like a, a side character that you would love to see kind of like paralleled into a different well, story? I don't know. I you know I don't know if this is like been how confirmed it's been. But uh, Tom Holland did tell me that the little kid in Iron Man 2 that's watching Tony Stark, that Tony Stark gives gives something See, to I at the racetrack is Peter Parker. No, I no, think no. it's a lie, too, because I don't understand World's what Fair. it was. The, yeah. Queen, the, the oh, Stark yeah. Expo, which would yeah. have been in Queens, which would have made it, it makes sense. But stop. Just stop. it. Why? Why does that bother you? Because it feels like it's it's overly forcing everything. I, do, is connected I think so, too. But I, just, I feel like you're such a Spider-Man guy. I, I figured you would have jumped onto it. It's fine. It's fine. Jesus. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I don't need everything to be connected to Tony. God, it's frustrating. It's frustrating that Tony is the new Uncle Ben, for God's sakes. I'm a That's little true. annoyed by that. Yes. Anywho, you know what else I'm frustrated and annoyed by? They're kicking around the idea of doing a Twister reboot. With Joseph Kaczynski uh, in development, Joseph Kaczynski is directing, as we uh, were talking about before we started the show, he did Tron Legacy. Which I love. Which was awesome. He did Oblivion with Tom Cruise, which is also Which I also liked. I also liked. I like that. He's doing Top Gun. We haven't seen it yet, but so far it looks pretty good. Um, And is circling the idea of doing a Twister reboot. So strangely enough. Didn't we say everything we needed to say? Oh, 100%. With the original Twister. And we revisited Twister yeah. recently. Like, within a, the past month, I took it off the shelf and watched it with the boys. And it's still fun, but it does not hold up in the least bit. Nor would it benefit from a, from a polish. It just, it was a bad idea. Like, the idea is cheesy. It's super cheesy. It's like chasing after storms. And yeah, oh, Gabe, Gabe has something to add. I have a question a hypothetical question that might change your guys' mind on this project oh, with it being Joseph Kaczynski attached. Yes. What are the odds that this turns into Tom Cruise fighting a tornado? Oh, see now, oh, now and, I'm they, in. and then they, th- and then they throw Tom because right. Tom Cruise will actually go into a right? tornado. Son of a bitch. Here, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> Here's the scenario. All right. You have the, you have the skydiving scene from the, from the sixth one fallout. You send him yeah. and a camera operator into an actual tornado and you yeah. literally yeah. There needs to be a heist in, in this in this in this version I'm, Tom Cruise is Dorothy. Yes. <laughs> they send Tom Cruise in to, to get the data himself. I would pay money to watch sure, that. Right? right? Yeah, I would watch that. And it's because like, it's Kaczynski, there's like a 40% chance that with, it's with Tom Cruise doing the score. Because Cruz doesn't work with other directors. He tends to go back to people he's very familiar with and very comfortable yeah, with. Yeah. So, uh, uh, it's just the idea stuff. of there's no Bill uh, Paxton anymore. I get him in Pullman. Sorry. 
There's no Philip Seymour Hoffman, obviously. Um, so, you know. Helen Hunt ain't coming back. Helen Hunt's not coming back. Um, Elliot can I say, from E.T. Can not I say for the back. record, I think that Philip Seymour Hoffman, my two favorite, favorite performances of his are actually Twister and Along Came Polly. I know. Those are, are my two favorite Hoffman that, that performances. That can't be true. That just means I, you have to see more I, Philip Seymour Hoffman films. I've seen all of his movies. Everything from Schenectady, New York, to everything you can imagine. I like Schenectady, New York. He's amazing in The Master. I love The Master, but this goes back to my argument about drama and comedy. I I think that he does comedy masterfully, but The Master is an amazing film. Don't get me wrong, but Hoffman had range. You might say it's masterful. It is masterful. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) you don't get to get on me for the Zoom where it happens and then say masterful. I'm not even trying to say it's a pun. It's just that I'm just being stupid. (laughs) So anyway, (laughs) we all vote thumbs down on the Twister reboot. Unless Kaczynski lures Tom Cruise back to play Darth Vader. Tom Cruise is in. All right, tentatively. I'll give Kaczynski credit real quick Um, for people out there who like Tron Legacy. um, I rewatched it the other day. It's such a great movie. Oh, did you? Um, Daft Punk soundtrack is amazing. But the reason I wanted to bring that up is because the version on Disney Plus does not preserve his actual IMAX aspect ratios. So if you get the Blu-ray, you can actually get the gigantic IMAX scenes in when they go into the game. So like it's actually full blown IMAX. It's awesome. If you have so, like a 4K player or a Blu-ray player at home and a big TV, put the D- the Blu-ray on, not the uh, Disney Plus version because it, j- it just blows up. It's awesome. Physical media. I have never seen Tron Legacy and everyone talks about how what? great it is. I mean, I just have oh. not been in. I've oh. not been compelled to put it on, dude. I, I let me tell you this right now. It's, I have it, it. It's one of the sequels that doesn't need the first one to be watched. Oh, cool. Um, like for me, like I saw T two before I saw T one. I saw Die Hard three before I saw Die Hard one. I saw you know. So it depends on your age. I know, but I was I was eleven when Die Hard three came out. Come on. Um, but in regards and- to. Tron, you don't need to watch Tron 1 again prior to Tron 2. Tron okay. Legacy works on you get its own. The it's idea. Actually, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get it. They ride the cycles. They yeah. are on the game. I get it. It's yeah. awesome, man. All right. So, a trailer for a movie that seems like it would be in the awards consideration race. Uh, Respect dropped uh, recently. Jennifer Hudson playing Aretha Franklin. She's incredibly talented. Aretha Franklin's a fantastic singer. Looks like a musician biopic. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's just... yeah. I mean, it looks it it looks like he sort of uh, you know fits uh, sort of that 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 mold that is the that is the biopic. Okay. I will say that when I started hearing the singing, yeah, I could not tell if it was Jennifer Hudson or Aretha, and I Agreed. feel like that is a, a big compliment. Um, uh, I don't Jennifer think they Hudson's could have picked a better voice. Yeah, she's she, incredible. She's, she's incredible. Yeah, yeah. No one's um, going to deny that. So let me ask a question then: What helps a mus- a musician's biopic stand out? from because i'm i'm really tired of that genre honestly yeah. and it feels like we get at least one a year and if not one or two and we're just now cycling through the next era of artists who feel like you know now it's elton john or queen and aretha franklin and you're gonna get people who were big in the 60s and 70s and we'll just keep going like 10 years from now we're gonna be getting madonna biopics and debbie gibson's gonna have a, a bi- I like just crap like that you know you too is absolutely getting a movie so brace yourself some kid what about in lo- Pitbull? Some, oh, Pitbull will one day get a, uh, well, Quibi. It's going to go to Quibi if Quibi's still there. <laughs> It'll be a really it's gonna quick. It's going to be six minutes long. Yeah, real quick <laughs> highlight reel of, uh, of Pitbull's music. Um, so there's a there's a, a five-year-old in Dublin right now who is going to play Bono on screen someday. He doesn't know <laughs> it yet, but he is being groomed to lead the YouTube biopic. So what, what do you guys think sets them apart? Like what sets the good ones apart? 
I mean, mu- musically though, like, are you talking about music or can it be like a, a straightforward biopic like, like Steve Jobs? Honestly, anything. Oh, um, well, I'm thinking more musician biopics, but I guess any sort of biopic. I mean, I feel like with St- like, like the reason I bring up Steve Jobs because I felt like that was a different style of biopic that kind of focused on three different time frames and it wasn't like your standard like growing up and like even though it did the, the years. Um, I think when you play around with linear elements that in a helps. biopic. You can you can um, because you have the standard elements of a biopic, the beginning, the adversity through the trying to get the famous and then yeah. the downfall. Um, and I think, you know, I didn't love Rocket Man as much as you guys did, but I appreciated the the what Dexter Fletcher was trying to do with it. I actually li- really liked Bohemian Rhapsody, even though I know that goes against kind of the trueness of Queen and, and, um, and Freddie Mercury. I, it's interesting. It's a great question because I feel like. I'm definitely more interested in biopics or biopics that are, are musicians that I love and, and, and know sure. uh, and respect looks great. Um, and I think Jennifer Hudson's brilliant, but you're right. I mean, it, it, it feels like the trailer makes it seem like it's going to fall into that standard puzzle piece biopic element. Right. And I think the right. thing that makes it stand apart is when you go a little more edgy. Um, if you give it an R rating, Rocket Man had an R rating, which I thought gave it a little more edge. I also feel like if you play Compton. with yeah, straight out of Compton. When, when Thank you for bringing yeah. that up. That mm-hmm. is a brilliant, brilliant biopic mm-hmm. or biopic. Um, I thought that F. Gary Gray did such a brilliant job with that movie. That's I'm so happy you brought that up. That is one of my favorite biopics that I've seen. Or is it biopic or biopic? Now I'm getting screwed up. I would say up. it was biopic. I say Me biopic. Too. Okay. All right. So <laughs> that's probably wrong. <laughs> it's probably wrong. <laughs> More than likely wrong. No, but, but also honestly, tell I, me the story of an artist who I'm probably not familiar with their background. You know, like, I think I might know enough about Aretha Franklin just in a cursory glance at her. Um, but I also felt the same way about Elton John. And I thought I learned a lot from Rocket. Yeah, so but I, but, but I, I think that this, the style of the filmmaking should reflect the artist. I yeah. mean, and, and the two that I would bring up would be Rocket Man, because I thought the style of Rocket Man very much reflected 100%. who Elton John is. Mm-hmm. And then I want to bring up the, the Bob Dylan biopic. I'm not there where they mm-hmm. cast Ledger. several different actors. I mean, the structure, that movie itself kind of sums up who Bob Dylan is and his, his music. Bob yeah. Dylan is by no means an A, B, C, D, E kind of biopic kind of guy. Right, right. And so they realized we can't, he's not that kind of guy, so we can't tell the story in that way. I think they felt the same way with Rocketman. Mm-hmm. I think you you have to really let the artist itself be reflected, not just in the music, because it's easy to get right to the music and then play it and, and have you be like, oh yeah, I know that song. The movie itself, the structure, mm-hmm. the filmmaking, the style need to be unique to the artist's story that you're telling. Mm-hmm. Jake, one of the complaints you had about Bohemian was Queen's involvement. Um, yes. And I was wondering, I don't know if we discussed this already, but did, did that affect your problem or your, your issue with Rocketman at all in the sense of like Elton John being involved? Because it's the same thing, essentially. But, I, but Rocketman does a good job of, of showing the negativity, though. They, yeah, do I mean, show, they do show the negativity. Elton John has been, not only has Elton John been very open and honest about uh, the issues that he's had in his life, he's used them to really help other people and help them overcome obstacles in their life. He's basically said, like, look, I went through A, B, C, and D. Let me explain to you how tough that is and maybe Mm -hmm. help you out as well. The issue with with the remaining members of Queen is that I've always gotten the impression that they have a chip on their shoulder that, that, that without Freddie Mercury that they're not, like, Queen anymore. And, you know, the story that Sasha Baron Cohen tells about famously how uh, they wanted his version of the story 
to to have Freddie Mercury's death be the halfway point and be mm. have the back half of the movie be yeah. how they kept going and were mm-hmm. a success. Be you know like to me that's very telling. Of, of who they are and the fact that that they allowed and granted we've discussed this a thousand times but the fact that they're so that that they painted themselves or allowed themselves to be painted as choir boys in bohemian mm. rhapsody when they got into just mm. as much trouble if not more so than freddie mercury did um it just really rubbed me the wrong way so mm. so maybe i expressed myself incorrectly in that i talked about like you know no. a, a, a person's involvement you know a person shouldn't be involved for me, it's if you're going to be involved, you at least got to be honest about who you are as a person. And I did. Yeah. I think that's the, for me the difference between Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocket Man. I felt like Elton John was honest, and the remaining members of Queen, Brian May, and everybody were not. Roger Taylor were not. It's a great point. And accessibility, and Gabe, I know, you, I know you'll check in, but accessibility is interesting, right? So you mentioned the Bob Dylan film. No one saw that, right? Because it was it was kind of off the wall. Like mm-hmm. it was it was it was a very it wasn't yeah. like a really it wasn't a film that broader audiences were going to yeah. take in. Yeah. And it's interesting. So then then you start wondering, okay, does the biopic formula have to play a certain way to reach a larger audience? Like Walk the mm-hmm. Line, I thought was a great biopic. I, mm-hmm. I I really enjoyed Walk the Line. I thought that film was phenomenal. I think was that Taylor Hackford, who's a really great director, and no, was that Mangold. No, it was Mangold. It was Mangold. Yeah. It was yeah. Mangold. That's right, I forgot. Wait, what did Taylor Hackford do? Why am I thinking of Taylor Hackford? Proof of Life. Proof of Life with Russell Crowe and Meg Ryan. I don't know where I came up with that. But yeah, Mangold. He's married to Helen Mirren, isn't he? I think he's married to Helen Mirren. Or was. I know know where my brain went, and I'm only going to explain this because I made a brain fart. When I interviewed Helen Mirren for Hitchcock, which was a biopic, we talked about Taylor Hackford, and I had biopic Hitchcock. That's how my that's where well, the brain point, went. That's a, that's another great biopic element Verifying. is when you focus on just a moment. Oh yeah, okay, I like so, biopics that do that. So when we interviewed Springs, I'm going to really name drop here just for one hold second. On, everyone, hold on, because he is dropping a big name. When we went to New Jersey and interviewed Bruce Springsteen at his home, <laughs> uh, Mike Ryan asked him. Um, this was in the midst of Rocket Man happening and also Bruce's songs being used for Blinded by the Light. And he said, uh, you know, right now that Elton John's in, uh, being played by someone else in a movie. Do you envision a, tr- a, a part where uh, a point in life where someone's going to play you, a younger actor is going to play a younger version of you? And he said, uh, essentially gave the I never really gave it much thought. And I'm sure somebody's going to try to do it one day. But he said, James Mangold has been pestering me to do a movie um, that is very focused on a period in Bruce's life in between his run in the 70s, which would have included Born to Run and The yeah. River and all these things. And then he had a huge falling out with his um, manager, producer manager. And he was essentially in a spot where pop culture was real. Uh, uh, pop music was really taking off. MTV was taking off and bands like uh, Madonna and all of the new wave bands were taken off. And Bruce was looking around thinking like, I might not have a place here anymore, you know, and was in a really low spot and he had to reinvent himself and come up with a new way to present his music. And he came up with uh, Born in the USA. And so this movie would focus on that period of just like Bruce coming off of being born to run Bruce and then going through. I don't know what's left to do or if I have a place here in music and then coming up with the Born in the USA. And and it would end essentially with the That's launch of the Born in the USA album. That's also a good title for a movie, Born in, Born in the USA. I actually like oh, that title. That'd be amazing. That'd be a fantastic. Because, oh, yeah. I, because, I because like, it's also one of the most misunderstood songs yeah, in yes. the history of music. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Sean, I told you this story. I, when I, I, I only seen Bruce Springsteen live one time. 
Uh, right. And I, it was like some. It was like a, ma- a major Valor concert took place on the on the on the um, Washington oh, Monument. Did you like see him backstage? Oh, I met him afterwards because like, he, he was like. And but the crazy part was I'd never seen him before live, and I think he only did like four or five songs. Like Metallica yeah. was there, Eminem was there, Rihanna. It was like insane. I was just like backstage interviewing. I remember I interviewed John Oliver randomly. He was there, um, <laughs> and so uh, I, I I sneak away. And I'm like I'm gonna go watch Bruce Springsteen play. Yeah. And I'm and I've told this before, but like all I heard was boo, and I'm like, why are people booing Bruce Springsteen? <laughs> yeah, it's, well, Kevin it, was like, he's good. Don't boo I'm him. Like, this guy's amazing. I, I thought it was a political thing because "Born in the USA" is a very political song. Yeah, and he's very I, political, I, also. And I, I was wondering, as like, is this a political thing? And I didn't, I had no idea that people just say his name like that when he's so singing. Funny. I wonder if when Bruce Springsteen first started hearing that, I'd love to ask him if he thought it was booze. He got sad. Like, do you think it was? Did, did he think it was booze the first time he heard it? I wonder. I don't not, know. D- not until you just said that to me. No. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm wondering. Uh, Gabe I, points out that Taylor yeah. Hackford directed Ray. Also, so that's so okay. Kevin, your brain was close too far off. Yeah, it was kind of kind of close. Gabe, you had something kinda. you want to throw in or is that what you're going to tell us? Oh, no, I wanted to add before we move on just because you guys have mentioned how great Jennifer Hudson is. But like one thing that I'm most excited about with respect is like how fortunate we are that she exists, because like mm-hmm. I don't think this movie stands a chance without a talent like Jennifer Hudson who can act no. the way she can and quite literally hit the notes that she can. You know, like if we were seeing someone who was being dubbed by Aretha Franklin's music or was approximating it like she can nail it on every front and i think that's crazy crazy have we gotten to the point where people do um lip sync in bohemian rhapsody bohemian rhapsody yeah Yeah. (laughs) and you win an oscar for it (laughs) yeah very true also to, to gabe's point i think jennifer hudson might be the most talented effortless singer i've ever seen Mm. like i feel like what it when she's singing like, it looks like she's just, like, walking through the park. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't think it's hard for her to sing like that. I just think she's naturally gifted. Like, she brilliant. She almost like, made I mean, Cats worth watching. Not quite. Yeah. Not quite. <sighs> That's a tough one. All right. Uh, one other trailer that came out. Pixar put out a uh, longer clip of their film Soul, which is coming. Uh, Jake <laughs> was very smart to point out. He's excited because uh, it's a Pixar film that doesn't have... Um, a number after it, meaning it's not a sequel. We're back to original territories for it. Uh, it is, I mean, even by Pixar standards, this is really heavy material. A guy who seems to be having an incredible day. He's a musician. Looks like he gets a gig at a club and then uh, dies. And we watch his like soul do. go to the uh, before life, after life, before heaven limbo range uh, and figure out whether or not he can get back to his body. And so I assume and it was interesting because in the trailer I picked up on this. They said from the studio that brought you and instead of running through the Toy Stories, Finding Nemo's Monsters, Inc., they said from Inside Out and Coco. So it's like, mm. hold on to your, yeah. <laughs> your, your tissues. You about to feel some things. Yeah, this one's going to hit you really, really hard. Because those are the two, to me, most devastating emotional. Yeah. Inside forget. Out. Oh, we put I Coco on just to give Coco some love because Inside Out isn't. I love Coco. The last 20 minutes of Coco destroy me. Brendan and I, we got a screener of that and we were putting it. We were putting up our Christmas tree because it was the end of the year awards push. And I didn't get a chance to see it during our um, uh, theatrical screening here in the market. And then I, oh, I got the screener, I think, around the same time. So I just thought, all right, I'll catch up with that uh, in a little bit. 
and we put it on and I'm watching it, but I'm still hanging up decorations. And about 30 minutes into it, I just stopped completely and sat on the couch uh, and was absorbed uh, totally in the story and the presentation. And then, as you say, by the end of it, I was just bawling. I was just it's so amazing. So if people haven't approached Coco yet, give it a shot. Soul looks like it's going to be another date. Gabe, can you look up the date? What's what's the new date on Soul? What, what does it matter? What does it matter what the trying date to keep is? Some consistency. I'm trying to keep a level of uh, professionalism on this podcast, Jake. <laughs> If you don't mind, uh, you're, like, and you're asking him to go outside and catch butterflies. Like, well, like, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's insignificant what the release also, date is right now. Catch me a, uh, a butterfly, please, uh, before the show is over. I am seeing a release date of November 20th, but I don't trust anything I sure. see anymore. Firsthand, but uh, November 20th sounds right. That sounds feasible. Yeah. Uh, this week in movies. So there's a movie coming out on Netflix called Desperados. And um, we watched the, the trailer for this today. I wish it was. I wish this was a. Uh, Antonio Banderas and Salma Hayek returning to a uh, to a uh, big actually screen. like Once Upon a Time in Mexico. That's the one with awesome. Johnny Depp. Yeah, is the blood the blood coming out of his eyes? The, the blind the blind uh, uh, gunfighter. Best yes. scene in that movie is when he eats the food and he goes back and he kills the chef because yeah. the food is so good. So he good. goes, I'm gonna is go it, back. Is that when he takes the fake arm off? I think it's so. such a weird movie. It's out there, man. It's, it's definitely very, out there. It's a very strange film. I didn't think we were going to discuss this week. And that tends to happen to us almost every week. We hit on a title that I was yeah. like, hmm, I never thought I'd ever discuss that one. Uh, Desperados is not tied to the Rodriguez universe at all. It is um, a girl who meets her dream man. Uh, they hit it off for a long time, and then he starts to ghost her. That's one movie. Um, then as part of the same movie, her and her friends get really drunk and decide to text him really horrible things because they think that he is ghosting him. Uh, and then he uh, calls her and says, hey, I was in a really bad accident and I was not able to uh, text you. My phone is back at the resort. That's that's the second movie that's referenced in this trailer. Then her, Wait, and her friends I just decide watched this film earlier yeah. today. I think Lauren was watching it for an interview she has. And I was in the kitchen there you go when that secondary part of the story went down kicked in and i'm like what the heck is this i had no idea it, was it the sounds same like movie. road trip it sounds like the movie road trip well so then they have to decide they have to go to mexico uh to get to the resort and get his cell phone before he gets back from the hospital to uh see the messages the horrible text messages that that she that she left for him so by the by the way can we yeah. mention that road <laughs> trip which is a really really great movie directed yeah. by jokers todd phillips by the way well, did he direct Road Trip? And Old School. Wait, I'm getting Road Trip and Euro Trip mixed up. Road Trip Euro- is when is like don't doesn't he send like a like a sex tape yeah. to his girlfriend or something? It's, it's oh, Breckin Meyer right, and right, Tom. Right. Remember Tom Green? Tom with Green with a snake. Green, that's right. Snake. Yeah, Euro, but Euro, Euro Trip. Matt has Damon. Scotty doesn't know, right? That Scotty oh, yeah. doesn't know. And and uh, Dawn from Buffy. Dude, how great is the Hasselhoff bit in Eurotrip? Remember the Hasselhoff yeah. bit with the dream? Come on. Even Gabe's like, yeah, I know. Come on. The Hasselhoff bit in that movie is funny. I remember the Hasselhoff bit. Now oh, I have to go back man, and find great. it. All right. I'll look it up on YouTube. <laughs> uh, but more importantly, this week in movies, we are very excited because as of Friday, uh, July 3rd, if you have Disney Plus, you're going to be able to access Hamilton. And so we're going to dive into our review of Hamilton on Disney Plus because we were Alexander all able to. Alexander Hamilton. So we all watched it last night. Everybody caught up with it, watched it again, um, watched all the through. Kevin started watching it as soon as he got it, essentially, and was hmm. texting us like, I'm only going to watch the first song. And then he's like, I'm five songs into it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Kev, you go first because you were able to see it in New York with the original cast. 
Um, how early in the run did you go? How, did you, was it something you just realized you needed to get up to and see? Were you and Lauren in New York anyway? How did it go down? It was before the Tonys win. Um, we, uh, I've been going to Broadway all my life. So um, my entire family's from New York. So my parents would make it a, uh, a thing for us to go to Broadway shows. And in a, in a darker turn of a story, I just, I'll never forget my, when my grandfather died when I was 10, um, we had tickets to Phantom of the Opera that day in Manhattan and we were staying in Long Island and my dad wanted us to still go. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget him leaving and saying you guys should still go. The reason I bring that up is because I just have a visual memory of Broadway since I was a kid. Um, so Broadway is always been special. My dad and I went to uh, the producers in, in New York and saw Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick. Wow, on nice. their first oh, run. that's a good one. And that was also the same weekend that we saw Memento at Regal Ewalk. Uh, is it Ewalk or whatever that was on in the main street across from Empire? Um, and then I just remember seeing the Memento. Ewalks across from Empire. Wait a second! I yeah. have never picked up on the fact that the Ewalks are across Neither from did Empire. I. That's really second. funny. <laughs> it, it is called Regal Ewalk, right? Ewalk, yes. Regal Ewalk, and the other one is the AMC Empire. Yes. Okay, so these are two theaters that are literally on the same block, but across Whoa. the street from each other. You can see the yeah. Regal from AMC, and it wasn't until you just <laughs> said it out loud that the Ewoks are across from Empire. Next time we're all in New York together, we have to make some kind of video, just That's like us really... looking back and forth at the two theaters. <laughs> That's great. How? We never put that together before. Never um, once. Yeah, we've so only Broadway, been there 500 times. Yeah. So Broadway's been a major, major part of my life. So going to a show in, in New York with, with Lauren isn't abnormal. Mm. Hamilton was just on our radar because, you know, and some of the best shows that Lauren and I have seen together, we saw Bradley Cooper and Elephant Man. We saw Brian Cranston in LBJ. We saw Brian Cranston in Network. Um, so we go up there a lot to see our favorite actors perform. Um, but Hamilton was like really ramping up. Um, and this is the point where all the tickets were sold out. Uh, I went on StubHub and I was able to find at this point in time, uh, upper balcony seats for like five fifty a piece. And, oh. you know, which is very expensive. But those tickets ended up going for thousands later on. And this is um, even before there was a lottery. You were just able to go to StubHub and find them. I went to StubHub. So I, I know there was a lottery. I know they did the ham for ham stuff as well. I think there but, were different but the, things. But like the lottery, they, you you find out on the day of. So in yes. theory, if Kevin's in D.C. and he yeah, finds yeah. out at like three o'clock in the afternoon that he won it like short yeah. of like getting on a train and busting but after they New do York. the lottery for the regional tours, though, too. Don't yeah, they, they? do. They I, did swear they Chicago. Char- I yeah. think they had it's, a lottery in Charlotte. Okay. Yeah, I, I think so that's a that's the thing that's really important for Lynn is that it that the show not be exclusive to basically people that can afford five hundred dollars tickets. tickets. Yeah. Gotcha. yeah, and yeah. and here's the thing: I at the time I bought those tickets, I couldn't afford five hundred dollars tickets uh, because, and we just put it on our credit card because we. Were, I think we had this weird thing in our gut that we didn't want to miss this. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There was something about it like that when people were, I had never seen a Broadway show discussed like this before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And so when I went to see it, we were in the balcony. I was a little nervous about the seats we got because they were so expensive and they weren't, and they weren't like down on the, on the main level. But Jake was saying we we're like, it was the vantage point that I had, which was cool because the stage has a spinning element on it and you could just see over top everything. It's like the best view I, I could have imagined because I, I, I thought about it afterwards. I'm like, I, I wouldn't have wanted to sit on the floor in the back. I wouldn't have gotten the scope of it. Now I do have that scope in the movie. Um, so my experience on that show, having seen Broadway shows all my life, it was 
hands down the greatest thing I've ever seen on stage. I mean, there was nothing, anything I've ever seen like it uh, as a hip hop. I, I grew up listening to hip hop and metal. So hip hop was always something that it was in my DNA in regards to listening to music. So to have a history lesson told through hip hop was just so, so creative. Mm-hmm. Um, and then those songs are just amazing. And you listen to the soundtrack over and over and over and over again. Uh, I'll never forget going outside that night. And I got to thank Jake for this, Jake, for this, because the whole cast came out. But Lin-Manuel Miranda was sick and he tweeted that night. Hey, everybody who's outside, I'm sorry, I can't come out. I'm not feeling great. So everyone signed it from the original cast, except for Lin-Manuel Miranda. And then when Jake went to interview him for uh, the Chicago uh, run, he got it signed for me on the on the playbill, which I'm really excited to have now. Um, so the reason I have all that backstory is because that experience was such a special experience for me. Um, so watching the film was very weird for me, actually, because I had never seen it like that. I'd never been that close up. We've had a lot of discussions about um, this idea, and I'll, I'll steal Sam Mendez's words, this idea of epic and intimate, right? And the mm-hmm. idea of when you watch, when I watched the show for the first time, it was an epic scope, right? And Sean, you made a great point about you choose what you look at. Um, yeah. And the stage becomes... You play with it. You make you write it with them. You're the collaborator in the movie. They choose for you, as you mentioned. And I wanted to give Sean credit. because That was a really interesting point. I didn't think about it. Like they're telling you where to look at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we were texting this on the thread. It almost feels like you shouldn't be there. Right. Like it's like it's kind of weird, like especially when you get super close up to like Jonathan Groff singing and, and spitting on you. Yeah. But but I it's so funny. I, I, I as I watched that spitting scene. Um, like he's like just really into the music. I, I thought to myself, they kept that in because it just shows how passionate. Well, and also, he was. well, apparently that's a thing. He's no. I asked someone um, that that knows Broadway very well. Like, did did they just happen to capture a night where he was just? I mean, that dude is a geyser. Like he is spitting yeah. so much. But apparently, that is a very known Jonathan Groff thing. That like no he kidding, spits really? a, and apparently he's like I guess a little mm-hmm. self conscious about it. And I was like, well. If he is, it's captured in beautiful HD for the rest of eternity. So, but apparently, and then, yeah, and, and the pit and the spit stays there, like, just like <laughs> it's like hanging they... off of his chin. But it um, also, I feel like it works for King George. Like I could see like King George just being so angry yes. that the spit's just coming. And but it, but it's so cool because you know for people who aren't aware how they did this, uh, it, it's so interesting. They shot it with two live shows and they did like the close ups on the days without the audience. I love those shots of like just the like the blackness of the theater, mm-hmm. right? Of just like the, because like, I mean, it just looks so epic when they go behind the stage and shoot out or they go above the stage. Um, the movie does well, I love take that on they a- let the stage director direct the film yeah. Yeah. because Smart. he has such an intimate knowledge of what to show. Um, and yeah. there's a, a scene that I won't really, I, I don't want to single it out, but it's, you're in close on a character at the front and then it zooms to a character in the back. And the yeah. character in the front almost goes blurry and the character in the back comes very crisp. And I thought like another director might not have even thought to to do that, you know, because it was such a visual right. co- conveyance of that. So I thought I, I picked up on that and thought it was cool. But I will say this, though, like as you watch the film, there are there are moments where I'm like, I would like to have been wide here. Um, yeah. I think at mm-hmm. one point, uh, a couple of times. And Sean and I, we were all discussing this in the text thread today. I actually finished the film finally today. Um, and so I, I loved the film, um, but I also want people, as we discussed in the thread, and you guys can get into this as well in your reviews, to still go see the show. Um, but I will say this, like when you're, as I sat there and watched this Broadway production on my screen in HD, 
Um, I had never been transported like that to a, a show. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm, I sat front row for LBJ and I watched Cranston spit all over me for three hours, and that was awesome. But like when you it's have that vantage point, it was pretty awesome. But when you have that vantage point. Like you're you're right there. That's kind of how mm. this feels. It feels like you're front row. Um, so you do you are chosen what you're looking at. And that's fine because it does serve the story. But there are a lot of things that you might miss. So I do recommend still seeing the show as we all discuss. I think the film is just it, the film is a brilliant display of one of the greatest pieces of, of, of media, cinema, writing, music ever created on this planet. Every song is perfect. Every song hits it's so emotional and Jake we were talking about I cried at the end I mean it really is a beautiful beautiful film and a beautiful story that I'm actually happy that people can now experience this is the last thing I'll say the MPAA thing um it didn't bother me at all actually uh so if you watch the film we know that there are three f-words allowed in a 13 or three f-words in the show they deleted two of them they kept the one that's in say no to this um it's the longer one where where lynn goes f uh yeah like that yeah and so obviously they keep it things it's longer it has more of an impact but they actually played around with the editing to cover the other f-bombs in a very clever way i don't know if you noticed it when hercules mulligan pops out during yorktown um in his tony's show he censors himself in this the camera is like kind of looking up at him and hercules mulligan jumps right as the f word is said you can't tell it's muted it actually Mm -hmm. the 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 actual physicality of hercules mulligan speaks to the f word which i thought was because he's saying isn't he's saying get the f back up again like so so it makes sense that he would be like jumping up Right. And so that to me, that didn't bother me. I know we've had just some discussions in the show about censorship and whether or not. What's the, show- I couldn't remember what the other one was because it's, I think, because the moment that, uh, that Hamilton writes, uh, an article about John Adams and says like, you fat mother, like that, I think that was actually bleeped in the show. Right. That's a real bleep. Yeah. That's a so real that, bleep. Like that was actually bleeped. And so it yeah. wasn't like, so if you hear that, it's not like it was censored for Disney plus like where he throws the, like, like yeah. John Adams, you fat mother. And then like, I think that's actually bleeped. So, but they I, so I could not remember light. what the third one was. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I didn't, I'll look it I didn't up. miss it. I didn't miss it. Exactly. One bit. It's, it's not very apparent. I didn't miss it. And one the, bit. Sh- the show is exactly the way. So, so to people out there who might be worried about the show being censored, it is the exact same show. It, there's nothing taken out of it. The content is all there. It still has sexual elements. It still has violent elements. It still plays to all those thematics. Yeah, it's the show. But the F, I didn't miss the F word. It didn't no. bother me at all. And I actually um, am glad that it's accessible to people. Jake, I'm going to um, make you talk about your Emmy. Can I make you talk about your Emmy? Mm-hmm. Or do you have other things that you want to share about Hamilton? Because I mean, I'm, I'm trying to touch on the reasons Sorry, why it's long. important to everybody. And for Kevin getting to see the original cast, like you, you got this amazing opportunity to do yeah, this when so he came to Chicago. Even before it started going on tour, Chicago was the first city that Hamilton came to after New York, not for uh, a tour, but for an actual residency. Like it was here. It just recently left. It was here for three years. Um, it's supposed to be in D.C. right now at the Kennedy for, Center. For a like, residency, right? Not, not for a tour, yeah. not for like for, for a full-blown residency. And so it was a big deal at the time that like, holy crap, like because because it, it's at first it was a very exclusive club. Like it like if you got to see Hamilton one, it meant that you were able to travel to New York mm. and that you're able to afford the tickets. This was the first step toward accessibility. Granted, it was just another residency. 
but it was moving in the direction of, okay, if they're doing this, that means they must start, they must be preparing for a tour. Well, mm-hmm. because they were doing this, uh, Lynn Manuel Miranda made himself available uh, to a handful of reporters here in Chicago um, for an extensive talk. And, and so I got him for basically uh, 15 minutes when really, like, you know, I was able to kind of through that 15 minutes kind of tell the story, like get the story of Hamilton with him. I mean, like it kind of came from, and this is such a, I'd argue an important thing to remember. The, the idea for Hamilton came from a time when he was on vacation and he was able to relax. Like he was on the vacation from in the Heights. He bought Ron Chernow's uh, biography of Alexander Hamilton, started reading it on vacation and then thought like, Oh, this dude kind of reminds me like of a rapper. Like he had beefs with all the other founding fathers. He used the spoken word to go after them. Um, he was shot in duel. Like it, like he, and so he said, he sort of reminds me of different aspects of different rappers. And uh, so, yeah, and so the interview went really well, and I won a couple of awards for it. Um, but the, by my opening night experience, I was fortunate enough to be invited to opening night. Uh, everybody was there. So directly in front of me, because uh, I was on the orchestra level in like row J, which is a good seat normally. But to your point, Kevin, I ended up seeing it again from up above and got to see the stage. I didn't realize the stage really the to the degree that it awesome. moved. It was, it's it's uh, gorgeous. Um, yeah. But yeah, Lin-Manuel Miranda right in front of me, Alex Lackamore like to my left, uh, Luis Miranda, Lynn's father was was there. I mean, every, and so, you know, the mayor of Chicago, you know, Rahm Emanuel at the time, like it was. So it was interesting to like kind of like watch Miguel Cervantes, who I would argue is just as good of an Alexander Hamilton, if not better than Lynn. Well, that, that's uh, what I was just going to ask. Like, could you imagine trying to play Hamilton play in Hamilton front of Lynn? In Lin front of, yeah, in front of, yeah. <laughs> no. Um, no, 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 no. And so, so like, you know, I would like yeah. watch a show and then like look at Lynn and like watch a show and like, yeah. exactly, you know, like Kevin, that story you tell about Spielberg, how like you're yeah. glad that you were in the theater with him because because you would have been watching. I, I found myself yeah. doing that. Like, ooh, that was a good performance. I wonder what Lynn thought. You know? <laughs> um, and I got to speak to him briefly in the lobby and, you know, he's always been and, you know, I think we've all spoken to him. He's always been incredibly kind to all of us. Um, but yeah, I have I have an affinity. It, it is my favorite uh, Broadway show of all time. I have several of the songs memorized. I could recite the entire, you know, uh, Alexander Hamilton rap or whatever the case may be. Um, but uh, yeah, it's 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 a show that has meant a lot for me. One, just because I genuinely love it, but also professionally, it's been a story that I feel like I've been following. Not from the beginning, because mm. I didn't really get to cover it as much when I was in New York, but like from the moment it was accessible to me. I feel like I've been there. And uh, so yeah, I feel like sort of a, a personal connection. But it was the first time last night that I got to see it with the original cast. So in that sense, I got to see the show like I'd seen it before. But last night did feel a little bit like the first time. And different? Better? Yeah, I, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, I mean, here's the deal. It's it's a great companion piece to the experience of having been there. Yeah. Um, I, at the end of the day, if you have the opportunity and if you have the means, I would still say go to see it in a theater because it's it's like watching a sporting event on TV versus being you know in the stadium with the crowd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Both of them have their appeals, but but one can't replicate the other. Yeah. Um, the the thing I would I would argue because and then Sean, I really want to hear your opinion, having never actually seen the show. Mm. I would argue if you're going to watch Hamilton on Disney Plus for the first time, do your absolute best to replicate the theatrical experience. And what mm-hmm. I mean by that is in a theater and if they even leave the thing in, in the in the Disney Plus movie, King George telling you to turn off your phone, yeah. turn off your phone for three hours, turn off all the all the rules short of wearing a suit, <laughs> all the rules you would abide by 
in the Richard Rogers <laughs> Theater or the CIBC Theater or, you know, or whatever they are, the Kennedy Center, whatever the case may be, abide by those rules in your living room. Because if you like, I mean, we're the, the, the verbiage, I think there are over 22,000 words in Hamilton. The, the verbiage is a work of art. It is it is it is a masterful. It is it is a literary version of the Sistine Chapel. And if you are occasionally glancing down at your phone or sending a text in the 30 seconds, the same it, it takes you to send that text. You could be missing one of the most beautiful, beautifully written lyrics of all time. So I cannot stress enough where if this is your first experience, res- respect the art of this thing. And, and give it the, the two hours and 45 minutes it deserves. And if you got to pause it, pause it. But don't be doing other things when you watch it, especially for the first time, because you're going to be missing out. Sean, if, before you go, do you mind if I add one more quick thing? Of course. Um, the only thing I wanted to add, because I agree with Jake, um, was because uh, I, th- I think we were all discussing it from our perspectives and how things were. Uh, one of the things I really wanted to add was the first time I saw the show with the original cast, um, the person that stuck out the most to me was David Diggs. Um, because I just thought that his performance was so brilliant. And La- I just think Lafayette is like my favorite character in the show just because he's so fun. And and all the battle raps that um, that Thomas Jefferson and, and Hamilton have. Is that's it what, weird that's what, that he comes back and plays a different character? Because that really a, threw a lot me of them do. They all do a that. A lot of them do. Yeah. A lot of them do. Ramos. The, 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 Anthony third, Ramos. Uh, the third Skyler oh, yeah, sister. Anthony Ramos does come yeah. back a lot. Yeah. yeah. And the third Skyler sister is the, the woman that he has the affair yeah, with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Gotcha. But last thing I want to mention is, uh, so the show, the actual Broadway show, David Diggs was the standout for me. The movie was Eliza, the character of Eliza. Um, yeah. Is her name Philippa Sue? Philippa Sue, yeah. Sue. And one of the few cast members that did not win a Tony. And I got to tell you right now, um, Helpless is the song that really kind of ignited for me on the on the movie version. Mm-hmm. Um, in the, you know, when you saw the Broadway show, it was still kind of, it wasn't new, but it was still out there. It wasn't like super, like I, I, everyone didn't know the lyrics yet. I think some people were there. Actually, I remember sitting next to someone who saw the show three times already. I remember that. Jesus. It was probably, it, it was big at that point. Um, but anyway, so I just wanted to give a shout out to Eliza, that character. So I avoided Hamilton um, for the most part when it was coming around, when it was huge. Um, not that I, I didn't physically avoid it. It just didn't register with me. And I knew it was a super big deal. I'm just, I'm not a huge Broadway guy. I'm not, and even the, the best things on Broadway, whenever people say like, this is the best show or the best musical, I watch it and I'm always like, yeah, it's just a Broadway show. Like it's, Broadway to me has a, a certain level of entertainment that it never really registers with me. I'm way more of a music, like, like uh, bands, you know, rock music, uh, punk music, stuff like that. I just register with four people on a stage playing instruments than the showiness that comes with Broadway. And when you add it in hip hop, I, I just don't I don't love hip hop. You know, like Kevin grew up with it. I didn't. And I respect and and appreciate some rap, but I would I don't really choose to listen to it. It's like with Jake with country. Jake loves country, but some people just can't listen to it. Right. Mm. I just would never choose to do hip hop. So when you combine the two of them together, as as much as everyone told me how great Hamilton was, I was like, yeah, I'm sure it's fine. You know, I'm sure it's it's probably really good, <laughs> you know, uh, but I just never went out of my way to check it out. Um, and you'd hear songs and even the songs that I heard, like you always heard um, Alexander Hamilton. Primarily, uh, you heard my shot a lot. You heard the room where it happens. And I thought those songs were good, but I and out of context, I was like, yeah, I, I get what he's trying to do. You know, yeah, he's doing spoken word hip hop history. Cool. Cool. Sounds pretty good. Uh, but at the ticket prices that they were going for or the lottery system and all this jazz. And even when they came through Charlotte on the touring production, I was like, mm, eh, that that's OK. 
we have other things going on and I never went to go do it. Um, and so the first time that I actually heard Lin-Manuel Miranda was Moana, oddly enough. And they talked about how he wrote the songs for that musical. And I'll never forget, like the night that we were going to that screening, it was November and things were just chaotic and hectic from the holidays. And I was going to skip it. I was like, I don't really want to go to the screening tonight. And Brendan said, oh, I kind of want to see Moana. And I said, all right, if you want to go, we'll go. And the two of us went and it was amazing. Like Moana, I think is fantastic. And the one thing, one of the things that makes it fantastic is the music. And I was like, oh, damn, like this, these are great songs. And this guy is really talented. So it was I kind of recognized his level of talent. But watching it, watching the movie last night um, and, and I, I have this level of cynicism that coats almost everything where, you know, I'm like, yeah, it's, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's fine. You know, I'm sure it's really good, but it's not hmm. going to be anywhere as good as people make it out to be. And I'll start to pick it apart sort of thing. Um, but we were like three songs in Michelle and I were watching it together and we were like, holy fuck, like this is unbelievably good. It's not it's not pretty good. <laughs> it's not great. It's unbelievably good. It's hair on your arm stand up. Yeah. good. Yeah. Like the, my it's, hair, on my arm stood up again and I've seen the show. That's and, how good it is. And how how few things can you honestly say that about, you know, where it's just, where it, it, it blows past expectations that are so sky high and then i we're like five or six songs into it and i decide i'm going to open my phone because i just want to have the playlist in front of me and sort of track it and i swear to you i opened it and i saw 46 songs and my gut (laughs) reaction was oh hell no i'm not doing 46 songs but (laughs) everyone is good (laughs) there's not a bad song in the damn show it's crazy it's crazy how good it is. And again, I'm not breaking any news here. Hey, Hamilton is, Hamilton amazing. is good. <laughs> yeah, Hamilton is good. But but it, it's set up to fail for people who haven't seen it. You know, like you you just cross your arms and you'd be like, there's no it's that good. And what it reminded me of in a weird sort of way is we today have access to everything. If you you say like, oh, I would love to see what Led Zeppelin sounded like playing a concert in 1974. (laughs) There it is. I can watch it on YouTube. But with Hamilton, you couldn't access it. You couldn't get to it. You know, like it's the tickets were really hard or they were super expensive and you couldn't justify spending thousands of dollars on on tickets to go see it. Or if. And so Michelle and I have this conversation a lot today. She's an elementary school teacher. She works in elementary school. She has hundreds of kids who don't have access to it, who will not have access to it. And that's just in her school. So then if you go school by school, by school, by school, and you think about all of the kids who, and this is what I talk about us having access to stuff. I I don't remember what it felt like to really want to see something and not be able to, or to really, yeah. really want to get to pick up. Like, remember how excited you used to be to, to get yeah. a, a book or a record or something that you had heard so much about, you know, but you, you couldn't get it. And that's what Hamilton has been for all these years. And so watching it last night, a couple of songs into it, I it washed over me of like, oh, this is what it feels like again to be not denied something, but have to actually wait. And I think it there's so so much value wait for in it, that. Wait for it. Yeah. So hmm. I I think honestly, the existence of this movie alone justifies the existence of Disney Plus. Like a hundred percent. Um, if you were paying into Disney Plus and you were kind of saying, what am I? And Jake, you've been one of these people. Why am I paying into this? The Mandalorian was one of those things. It was cool. It was good to have that as a series. 
But and they should never take Hamilton off of this service. It should be waiting there for people who want to watch it over and yeah. over and over again. Because this morning I t- I woke up and I was working on my computer and I turned it on. And the King George joke was funny to me the second time through because I didn't even know it was King George when he made the announcement at the beginning of the show because I didn't mm. know who King George was and I didn't know why he would be important to the show. And then when mm. I turned it on this morning and it was Jonathan Groff and I thought, oh, that's really funny. <laughs> yeah, of course he'd be making the announcement about cell phones. <laughs> so it's going to be continuously rewarding. And you talk about the lyrics. The lyrics are one of those things where I thought like, okay, no matter how much I'm loving this, it's going to get repetitive. And I don't want to hear a historical breakdown of every single thing that we get to. And when I saw the 46 songs, I thought, there's no way this is going to last. They are so clever and they are so musically different and engaging and inspiring that I can't wait to go back and start picking apart the soundtrack. It's it's brilliant on every level. I, I solidify everything you guys said. It doesn't, to me, uh, meet the seeing in a live theater. I just couldn't, I didn't get, even with the crowd noise pumped in, I didn't get the sensation of this is great. I'm seeing in a theater. I will regret not ever getting to see it with the original cast in a intimate live setting, but this is the next best thing. And I'm literally talking like 9.8 versus what I'm assume a 10 would be. So God bless Disney plus, honestly, God bless Disney plus for spending a ton of money and, and then not holding it till December 2022, when, dude, someone said this today on Twitter. I don't disagree. This would have had a huge box office opening. Massive. Um, I, I think 100 million. Maybe. I mean, I think, maybe. I, th- I think it could have got 100 million. I mean, it depends when it opened I, I and what like it was up against. And, 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 and you know, I, I feel like people and granted, we're all and still in quarantine and people get excited for any kind of threat. But like in, in the grand scope of us this time in which we've been in this pandemic, I feel like people have been more excited for Hamilton than mm. anything else that I've seen. Uh, my, my boss, you know, we were all, everyone involved here in some form or fashion uh, was able to, to talk with the cast um, over the past few weeks. My bosses have been more excited. I mean, like think about all the interviews collectively we all mm-hmm. gotten over the past few months. My bosses were more excited about Hamilton yeah. than, than anything that I like. I, I'm good in their, in their eyes for like a month. Yeah. I'm so I can phone it in a for month. like the rest of the, give yourself nah. a few. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a few, we're, but it's we're, great. we're on every single day. It's truly great. Um, it's it. It exceeds expectations. And the Disney Plus movie is is made by people who love the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's literally it's the it's the uh, birth child yeah. of everyone who's been involved yeah. in making the show special. And so I think whether you're a, a new fan or a diehard fan, I think the yeah, I think that it, the, was, uh, it was it was also for everybody. It was made with good intentions. Like it wasn't made back in 2016. This wasn't made to like put in theaters one day. This wasn't filmed to, to put on a streaming service. This was mm-hmm. filmed because they thought like, we're never going to have this again. Like, yeah, we, yeah. like they basically filmed it without knowing. Oh, I'm getting chills. They filmed it without knowing what they were going to do with it. But they recognized the significance and the importance uh, of needing to to preserve what yeah. I think is genuinely history and said, like, we'll figure out what to do with it later, well, but we got to do this. It's not unlike how we decided to go to YouTube so that we would have visual representation of this show. You know, because eventually. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm the definitely the King George of the, the group. This week is a dedication to uh, a filmmaker that we have all loved and appreciated for many, many years who we lost recently. But we did not touch on it last week. Um, and we desi- decided we were going to save 
our tribute to Joel Schumacher uh, for this week's blend game, because we all grew up on Joel Schumacher's films. He uh, his body of work is when we talk about pigeonholing, like it's impossible to pigeonhole Joel Schumacher into. I mean, he's done gaudy superhero films. He's done vampire movies. He's done incredible crime thrillers. He, you know, was opera, Phantom of the Opera, a Phantom of the Opera. He was at the forefront of the, some of the Grisham uh, adaptations. Just an incredibly gifted uh, filmmaker. And we're going to celebrate his work by picking out our favorite films of his. Uh I'll go first. I'll go first. Um, I, I wanted to try to find something that wasn't The Lost Boys, and it has to be The Lost Boys. Um, the Lost Boys is just such a great, great uh, horror comedy, which is a hard genre to nail down. There aren't a ton of examples that you can point to. Uh, and I'll tell you this because I look for examples of that, especially to show the boys, because I don't necessarily want to. PJ can handle it. Bren's at that age where he's curious and wants to watch horror films, but he can't really dive into a full-blown horror yet because I think I'd psychologically mess him up. So I try to find that bridge with horror comedies, and he hasn't seen Lost Boys yet. I showed PJ Lost Boys a while ago. It also totally captures that 80s vibe. Um, it's got two Corys, not one Cory, but both Corys, which is fantastic. Uh, it has a killer soundtrack. Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland's amazing. Kiefer Sutherland. So great. Um, so young and pristine and beautiful. It's exactly what you want out of the undead. Like they should be California surfer, bad boy vampires, right? Like it's just, and it's got yeah. that weird Joel Schumacher, uh, visual bohemian approach that he brings, uh, or brought, especially early on the grandfather, just being a weirdo and, yeah. um, all of it across the board is great. And I love somebody tweeted this too. And I'm going to steal it, but I believe it. It doesn't forget the vampire rules. Uh, all the stupid rules that come with a specific genre, uh, they're important. You know, they're there for a reason. And when you can honor them, but not make them feel dated, like everyone knows you're not supposed to invite a vampire in. Right. But like the way that uh, the head of the the main vampires, and I think his name is Max, is it, uh, I believe his name is Max where he doesn't let uh, Diane Weist invite him in or, and he makes it seem like it's um, out of respect for her because they're on a date. And he's like, oh, no, I'm not going to. She goes, no, 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 come on in, come on in. And doom, boom, that's it. And it just takes that kind of thing. But I also love the confrontation with them at the end, with the vampires at the end, goes through each of, like they have garlic, they have holy water, they, they tick them all off. And they do them in a cool way, like a cool badass way. And that scene, oh, that scene terrified me when they hmm. go into the cave when the frog brothers bring Corey Heyman to the cave and they decide they're going to stake Kiefer Sutherland mm -hmm. or, but they, they stake one of the friends one of the younger ones and they're all sleeping upside down <laughs> and they wake up and chase them out of the cave it was horrifying as a kid I loved that I loved that scene and uh I will always be thankful for Joe Schumacher for bringing us Lost Boys so it's also a great 80s time capsule. Oh, yeah. It's terrific. so it's so and I, I, when I say it's so great 80s, movie. I don't mean that as, a, as an insult. I mean, as a compliment, like it yeah. perfectly ca without being, you know, it just perfectly cheesy. captures what. Yeah, it just captures what the 80s kind of looked like. Yeah. And of course, Greasy Saxophone Man, <laughs> who is a legend uh, of all. I salute you. So, uh, Kevin, you picked. Um, mine is just, yeah, again, this whole game is personal, right? So the one I went with is just based on kind of when I saw it, I took a film class in, in college and, uh, I remember the teacher assigned certain films for us to watch and do the right thing was on there. Citizen Kane was on there. Um, it's funny. Do you guys remember a movie called Chung King Express? Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. That was the cover of the book for the text for the for the class. I'll just never forget it. That was like the that was like the the the, the main point of the book. Um, so the one of the films that I saw there for the first time was Falling Down, uh, which you know that film was such a special film because I had never I had never really seen somebody fully realize that concept of like breaking. And like, you know, someone maybe who's like, a, I mean, I, I mean, we've seen it in movies before, but it was the first time it really registered with me to see somebody like break about everyday things that people mm-hmm. get really stressed about, like little sitting in things. traffic. The little yeah. thing is it just kept pushing the buttons. Right. And isn't he in traffic at one point? He, he just asked, wanted it, breakfast at <laughs> McDonald's. <laughs> yes. I, is it Burger King, right? I, I, I remember no, like, it was McDonald's. Oh, is okay. All right. So, in, but in the um, there's a scene though. I think where he's like in traffic, and doesn't he ask the guy who's working on the road, "What are you really doing here?" And the guy says, "Oh, we're just using our taxpayer money, and we're not really doing anything to the road." And he gets like really upset. Sounds about it. familiar. It sounds um, familiar. It's one of those movies I I need to revisit because I'm sure it would carry so much more weight even today. Yeah, and Robert Duvall is absolutely incredible in it. Michael Douglas, obviously. Um, there's a great moment with Duvall and Douglas at the end that I think is super powerful. That that film was interesting and Jake brings up the McDonald's I just thought it was a Burger King I don't know why but um he walks in there to order breakfast and it's like four minutes before the time breakfast stopped and I think we've all been there where you walk into like a uh, a fast food place and you want breakfast or whatever and it's like oh it's like two minutes away like oh we're not we're serving lunch now the menu's yeah, flipped yeah. over um I well, just Adam Sandler can do that in in Big Daddy and it could be played huge you know, right. For laughs or you could do Michael yeah. Douglas and it breaks his soul. <laughs> right. And but but falling down, it's it's an interesting movie because it does you become you are him. Right. You're like you start questioning your own morals and your own breaking points. And I had never seen a film really kind of like take me down a path that kind of put me in the villain's seat and kind of made me un- Again, it's something we've seen in cinema before, but this is the film that registered for me with that. Um, it was it was tapping into things that were real to a lot of people that everybody does on a daily. It's like it was like Seinfeld, but with a drama like, you know, they, they tapped into real things that like people like to talk about or those little details in your life that kind of stick out that everybody can somehow relate to. And I just think Douglas plays that film brilliantly. And it's just like a, it's just it's a movie that really. While it is an entertainment piece, it does make you think about and every time I see a breakfast uh, sign at a McDonald's or a Burger King, whatever, I think of falling down every time I, you know, I'm stuck in traffic and I see workers working on a highway. I think of falling down and I feel like falling down just kind of imprinted on me in such a weird way that I just, you know, there's something really interesting about relatability in a film when you're watching a character who's doing bad things and you kind of like think about your own self. And I feel like that becomes an interesting collaboration process with the audience and how you can kind of, you could be a part of it with them and kind of test your own limits and kind of how far you would go. Uh, and I always found that to be a pretty interesting story. And again, if we've seen it before in cinema, it was just the one that really kind of registered for me. So falling down, I feel like out of his entire filmography will be my favorite. Great choice. Jakey. I, I also chose falling down. Oh, look uh, at you too. Yeah. Look yeah. You too. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. I also chose falling down. You know what's what's interesting? Sorry, you know, no, no. Like tying back to know. to Hamilton, uh, Lynn Manuel Miranda has spoken a lot about how um, there isn't a word in Hamilton that's changed over the last five years, but just with everything that's going on with the world and how the times are changing and and, and what's in the headlines, the show means something different to different people. Mm-hmm. Um, people are using lyrics in protests 
Um, it's affecting them in different ways, different parts of the songs. And I feel like Falling Down is changing in a lot of different ways. You know, to, to Kevin's point, you know, I used to watch Falling Down and think like, you know, I've had those, you know, where you're stuck in track, you know, where, you know, and we've all had days where, you know, we, we snap at someone that we love because of, of, of outside factors, things that are bothering mm-hmm. us. And, you know, your, your parents or your significant other says or your kid says something to you and you're just like, hey, look, I can't, you know, it's not how you would normally act, but it's just, you know, and you take that and you turn it up to 11 and then you go like, God, like, what if? But then just with, when you see some of the, the horrific atrocities that, that are happening in the world today, it really makes you like, you know, like what, what kept Michael Douglas from, you know, being one of the guys that, that, that turns into one of those tragic headlines that we that we turn into. You know, it's just a really interesting, almost Joker like like what 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 was step A? Like so often in the story we hear, you know, the you know, step, you know, uh, step Z. But, you know, it's it, falling down with such an interesting look at, at, at who this guy was and, and how he gets to, to that point. And I just, I just think it's, it's definitely changed a lot with the times. And, uh, you know, just, I think continuously will. I want to point out one thing about Falling Down. It's written by a guy named Ebro Smith, who's an actor also. It's really the only credit that he has, the only writing mm. credit that he has. And it got me thinking about something that I was thinking about this past weekend. Honestly, this uh, this was in the back of my mind, and I forget how I even got to this point, but I was just sitting, I was, think I was doing something else and just thinking. I don't understand why we assume that people who are able to direct or write one really good film have the ability to keep doing it. Um, like, you would think that someone has a great idea for a movie, a really strong idea for a movie, and they put everything that they have into it, and then we as an audience immediately want that person to two years later have their next movie. What else you, know? you got? How is that, that? That's so unfair to to directors and to screenwriters. Like, what if that's their one great yeah. story? And we almost expect these people to have 10 or 15 great stories in them. And if they don't, we're mad at them. You know, like, what if Nolan gave you Interstellar and that was it? And he was like, I had a great idea for a movie called Interstellar. <laughs> what, what, and, what more do you want from me? Right. And that's all he gave you. Or if Spielberg yeah. gave you E.T. And then you were like, cool, what else are you going to do? And he's like, not, yeah. nothing. I had E.T. What do you mean? <laughs> what else am I going to do? <laughs> it's all I have. <laughs> to be fair, that's that's kind of the news business. And, and Kevin knows this. You know, you can bust your ass for weeks Putting, you know, like getting sources, uh, uh, pulling together a shoot, going out there, spending a day or two shooting the story, you know, all this time editing it. And then it airs at at 750 on a, on a Tuesday morning. Yeah. And at 755, your boss will text you, dude, that was great. What do you got tomorrow? Yeah. Like that's <laughs> yeah. that's kind of our life on a daily basis. I mean, like obviously in a, mud, a much micro version. But that's trust me, I, I get that. That is not healthy in the least bit. So, uh, we should all be uh, Ebro Smith, who delivered falling down and then was like, that's what I had. There you go. <laughs> that was my story. And Joel Schumacher directed the hell out of it. Uh, let's get to audience picks for Joel Schumacher blend. We had Andy Travers uh, and a few other people picked phone booth. OK, so when we're talking about the I versatility of Joel Schumacher, this is the guy who put nipples on Batman, obviously. Uh, he's the guy who directed the, the 80s teen vampire film. He's the guy who directed Phone Booth, which is an isolated thriller in one location and works extremely well. He's a guy who directed Falling Down with a riveting Michael Douglas performance. Uh, Reed Bennett chose Phantom of the Opera. He's, so he's the guy who directed Phantom of the Opera, too. His filmography is incredible in terms of his versatility. And then uh, Mike Reyes, 
Marcus Brown, Paul Marsh, and many, many others went with the Lost Boys. So for next week, uh, you guys can reach out on Gabe. I just looked. What? You can reach out on Twitter uh, using the hashtag Viola Davis blend. Hashtag Viola Davis blend. Uh, We will be celebrating the incredible filmography. Wow. Of the absolutely amazing Viola Davis. That's going to take me a second. Yeah. So play along on social media or you can email us at realblend at cinemablend.com. And you can also email us a review if you would like to, because uh, that's what JD the Reckless did last week. Uh, and they said best cinema podcast ever and ever was spelled E-V-E-E-E-E-E-R-R-R-R-R. And then a bunch Forever. of exclamation points. Ever. <laughs> Uh, discovered this podcast looking for Tarantino guest podcast episodes and stumbled upon them. Amazing two-part, which gave me a better look into the mind of my favorite director. Then I decided to keep listening and this podcast and this podcast. And then I decided to keep listening to this podcast and it has really helped me get through work. So thank you guys with all exclamation points. Well, JD, the reckless, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank no, thank you, JD, for writing us that review. Mm. Um, We will be back next week with an all new. Oh, we've got some really cool things coming up. Can I talk about the things that we're doing? Gabe, can you talk about the things that we're doing? I'll talk about the things that we're doing. We have, um, as people, as people, yeah, if it happens, as people might know, know, we haven't had a commentary track uh, in a while. uh, Given the state of the world, we had some delays. We have a very exciting. Surprise commentary track that I will just tease if it happens. We'll have a special guest involved. Yes. Uh, which is going to be awesome. And then we have... Um, oh, we have a couple more really great interviews. <laughs> See? So, you, don't say them out loud. You almost don't want to say them out loud. You, you can't say them out loud. Can't no. say them out loud. Yeah. Not yet. But they're really cool. Yes. Some really One cool, of them really in cool. particular is going to be an hour-long conversation, if it happens, if it with happens. someone that is, uh, has been popped <laughs> up into the movie news recently again. Yeah. Yes. I know who it is. For good, for good reasons. <laughs> yes, Jake knows who it is. <laughs> and if you want to know who it is, follow us at RealBlend, at RealBlend on Twitter. Or you just can text me and I'll tell you. The boys at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, and at Sean underscore O'Connell. Um, We'll be back next week uh, with an all new episode and hopefully some bonus content next week, providing everything goes well with all of our schedules. So until then, Dunkirk. Who the fuck was that? Kirk. What? Kirk. What happened? <laughs> I just wanted to stretch it out. You let your internet longer. go out? No, it's, it's always so <laughs> fast. Your it's like internet go out. <laughs> it's just over after I say Dunkirk. I'm like, I just wanted to like see your faces a little bit longer. So I just kept. Same. Well, all of our faces are like that's sweet. That was, no, that was sweet. He redeemed it. That's I all, like that. That's, that's also how Nolan pitched the title to the studio. <laughs> this is this, this podcast just... is not reflective of Nolan because we're all sitting down <laughs> in chairs. 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 Damn you, chairs. Damn you, chairs. He's he's got a point. <laughs> if you're he's sitting, you're not working. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.